Okay, so Steve Siebel back with the Author Speaker Podcast. .org. .org. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. We'll send it to you once a week. We'll email it to you. You can listen, watch, or both, whichever you prefer. Authorspeakerpodcast.org. All right, so today I want to talk about a topic that speakers and authors do not like to talk about. Across the board, at least in my experience over 25 years of being in the speaking business professionally, being a writer for 20 years, I guess, uh, or at least a book author for 20 years. I was writing articles for magazines when I was a kid, but but uh, you know, being in the business of it, the commercial business of it for about 20 years, this is something that especially speakers don't like to, to talk about. And I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll kick off the... The show with this, because this is literally one of the most important things you will ever learn, in my opinion, as an author speaker, okay? And most speakers won't talk about it. It's like a taboo subject with speakers and authors, uh, nonfiction authors. I'm not sure about fiction authors. I don't live in that world, but uh, they're probably the same way. But I don't live in that world, so I couldn't tell you. But in terms of nonfiction, personal development, self-development books, success books, you might call it as an umbrella top, as an umbrella uh, sort of a label, and, um, and it's talking about money and about how to secure your financial future as a creative person writing books, giving speeches, <clears throat> and maybe even coaching, you know, with success coaching. That's part of it as well. I mean, I think that's a big part of our business now, too, because content is basically has basically become a commodity. You know, we give this kind con- the content I'm giving you right now, we used to sell for a lot of money. And we give it away now because that's the that's the model, right? These podcasts, I listen to podcasts probably like you do all the time. I love podcasts. It's like the greatest thing ever. You know, my one of my favorites is called Perpetual Traffic. It's a great podcast. I, live, I listen to it almost every day. It's, they do a great job. It's by the Digital Marketing Company with Ryan Dice. I think Ryan Dice owns it or used to own it anyway. If he doesn't now, I'm not sure. But um, anyway, great perpetual po- tra- traffic is a great podcast. They just give you so much information. It's fantastic. And all these other podcasts, right? There's so many great ones, but that's one of my favorites. And, they, and the information they used to give you, they used to sell you, they give you. So where do you make your money? Well, you know, you can make your money selling books. Now, you know, you got to sell a lot of books. But keep in mind that as a, as a nonfiction author, books, book sales are like annuities. You know, you, you write the book one time and then you get residuals. Like if I lived like a normal person financially, like, a, like say the, an average person like with an average income, I could live off the sales of my books. And I'm not one of the biggest sellers. I've sold, you know, under 2 million books in my whole career. So I'm not like John Grisham and I've sold 40 million books or whatever he sold. It's probably more than that. But so it's not like a ton of books. Like a lot of people sold a lot more books than I have. But as an annuity, that money comes in every single month. Um, you know, I could live off that as long as the book sales continue. They have for 20 years. But, you know, so it becomes an annuity, something that comes in all the time. And as long as it keeps going, and typically if people like your books, they're going to keep selling over a period of years, uh, that can be an annuity. Now, a lot of speakers and authors don't treat it as an annuity, but it could be an annuity. So I'll talk about that. But I want to give you the overall framework first before I get started with this, uh, because it is so important. This is an example of how I believe speakers and authors despise, despise this topic. They just don't want to talk about money and saving money, investing money, and being smart with money. They want to be creative, and I get it. I'm a creative person, too. Like, I'd be the worst accountant in the world. I look at our numbers all the time. Okay, good, bad, and ugly, I check them out because you have to if you're a business person. But especially if you want to be financially independent, which I always wanted to be, and I have been since I was 31 years old, um, luckily, but it was because I paid attention. 
And so did my partner, who was my wife. We paid attention to the numbers. And when they were bad, we paid attention. When they were good, we paid attention. And you have to pay attention. But a lot of speakers don't. They say, well, I just want to be creative. I'll let someone else handle my money. I'll let someone else worry about the money. That's a big mistake. And that's why so many people that you think are great speakers and great authors and you read their books, they're broke. A lot of them are broke. And I mean, they've sold millions and millions of books. Um, it's really sad because they don't pay attention to it. It's not because they're not smart. It's just because they don't pay attention to it. So I'll give you an example. So 2011, I was honored to be named the chairman of the Million Dollar Speakers Group for the National Speakers Association. I was, uh, that started in 2009, basically the executive director called me and said, look, Steve, you know, we're, we're, we're reaching out to the top, the, the top financial, you know, the, the speakers that are the top in terms of uh, what they earn as a speaker in NSA, National Speaker Association. And we're putting this group together called the Million Dollar Speakers Group, which is you're going to have to prove that you earned at least a million dollars speaking, uh, speaking related income is the way they said it over the ni- over the past 12 months. And I figured this is right up your alley because, you know, because I've talked about money in a lot of NSA groups and said, look, you better focus on your money. You're not going to have any. And I, matter of fact, I, at one point I was called the Gordon Gecko that uh, was going around. I don't know who came up with it, but they said, oh, Siebel's the Gordon Gecko of the National Speaker Association. All he cares about is money, which is not true. But if you're going to, if you're going to be in a business, you have to take care of the financials. If you don't, you'll lose it. And that's why so many speakers end up broke, and it's sad. And I've watched it for years. Speakers that you know that are big names have no money. You wouldn't believe And if I told you and I mentioned it, which of course I won't, um, you'd say you're out of your mind. Those people are rich. They're not. And because they didn't pay attention, not because they didn't make a lot of money because they did, they didn't pay attention. You know, <clears throat> I remember when I was a tennis player, a Bjorn Borg was the, the big name and he made back then it's a lot of money still, but compared to now it's nothing. And, and for a top tennis player, he made $75 million and blew all of it. $75 million This is 30 years ago. And that was really a sad thing, and he went through a lot of tough struggles. Boris Becker just went to jail. Boris Becker blew $170 million. $170 million fortune he blew. How do you blow a $170 million fortune? I'll tell you what. It's not that hard. It's easy to write checks. It's easy to put things on credit cards. It's easy to buy you know, gazillion-dollar houses and private islands and yachts and airplanes. And all you have to do is put the credit card on the table or sign the thing or hand over the cash. It's real easy to do. You know, like I've never gone through that kind of money, but I've gone through some some money more more than most people, and it's just really easy to do. You know, um, it's not that hard to do it. And so, but if you're paying attention, you won't, and you can have you can make a lot less money and end up with more than most people that make ten times that the money you've made. But you paid attention to it, and they didn't, so they went through it like water through their fingers, which is really sad. Okay, so back to the story. 2009, uh, the, I won't say his name, but he was the executive director for a long time of NSA, and he called me because I was always talking about the money and how speakers don't pay attention, and it's sad. And, and so he said, you'll love this. You'll love this. You have to prove that you earned it. It's not just you know the, the good old boys club because I, I used to always say, look, the, you know, NSA, because I, Bill Gove was my business partner. He was the father of the industry, the first president of National Speakers Association, which means he knew where all the bodies were buried. I had the backstory in every speaker in the business. Every speaker you can think of, I had the backstory because Bill Gove was there before any of them. So Bill would tell me he was my best friend. You know, I spent five years on the road with him. He told me all the backstories of everybody. He told me the good guys, the bad guys, the mean guys, the cheaters, and all the real good people too. And he said, here are the people you deal with. Here are the people you don't. And the ones that don't were a big list, frankly. And the ones that do were a small list, but they were really good people, and they were very, very good to me. 
you know, Bob Proctor was one of those great people that he introduced me to, and Nito Quibane, and Bill Brooks, and Jim Cathcart, and Tony Alessandra, and, you know, it goes on and on. But uh, some, some people that you wouldn't deal with either. So I knew the backstories of everyone, you know, and so they couldn't fool me. And that was the thing. And says so that's what Bill said. He goes, I'll tell you about everybody. That way you'll know who to deal with, who, who not to deal with. So, you know, I went on and told, I used to say all the time, I said, look, because Bill told me this, you know, the CSP, and if you're an NSA, you know this, that's the Certified Speaking Professional. Okay. Uh, cert, uh, uh, certified Speaking Professional. It's a five-year designation. It takes five years to get it. And um, it's a really good, it's really strong. You have to really work hard. And I worked hard and I got mine in 2005. It's an earned designation. You earn it. It's not bestowed. It's earned. Okay. And Bill said, that's the only one worth getting because it's earned. It's not an opinion of someone else. It's not a good old boys club. Then there's another one called the CPAE, which because no one knew what the hell it meant for so long. It was some Latin term. I, for, I used to know it. Now I forget it. But no one knew what the hell it meant. So they said, hey, how about we call it the Hall of Fame? And uh, and uh, that way people know what the Hall of Fame is. So they changed it years later and called it the Hall of Fame. Well, now it's the Hall of Fame. Okay. So they figured, speakers just said, well, I, they figured, well, we can use it if it's Hall of Fame, which is probably a good idea. The problem with it is it's a good old boys club. I, the people in the in the NSA Hall of Fame, some of them I, I know personally have made very little money, but they, they volunteered in NSA. They're on the board. They were president of a chapter. They were president of the national. And it's, it's just – it's so ridiculous the people they hand that award to. And Bill told me this. You know, Bill was one of the people that created it, Bill Gove. So he told me, he says, don't ever go for that Hall of Fame. You'll just have to suck up to people. You'll have to volunteer for everything. And eventually down the road, they'll give it to you. And the clients could care less anyway. It doesn't mean anything. He goes, but it really, the people that know better know it doesn't mean anything anyway. And uh, it's it's an award that's just a good old boy. You get in with the right people, they'll not, they nominate one another is what they do. And then they give it to it. So the people, it's just funny. It's a, but Bill told me that years ago. He said, so don't worry about that. He said, you're a rebel. You'll never get in. He said, it's all political. He said, but the CSP is not political. It's earned. He said, so go for that. So I did. And then I blew off the CPAE and I and the Hall of Fame. I could care less. I, I never lobbied for it. Didn't care, even though I've made 10 times the money most of the people that have done it have made and, and whatnot. But I didn't go for it because Bill told me not to. But so but when when the executive director called me in 2009, I said, he, he the first, I said, oh, is it a good old boys club? I said, so I'm going to nominate someone to get a million dollars. He goes, no, no. He said, Steve, here's why you're going to like this. He goes, I know that you're against the Hall of Fame, the CPAA. I goes, yeah, I know you think it's a good old boys club. I go, you know why? Because it is a good old boys club. I said, my business partner was one of the people that created it, but he didn't create it to be a good old boys club. He wanted it to be real, and it's not. I mean, there are, it is, you know, there are good speakers in it. It's not that. It's just that it's not based on criteria or metrics. It's based on social networking of top speakers that nominate each other and, you know, kiss up to each other. <laughs> and so... So he, he said, well, okay, I disagree, but <clears throat> I know you feel that way. He said, but this is not like that. No way. You have to show a P&L, a profit and loss statement, submit it to KPMG, the accounting firm in Phoenix. They evaluate it. And if you have the million dollars in speaking-related income, according to their evaluation, you can join the million-dollar speakers group. And if you don't, you can't get in no matter who you know. And I said, no way will you guys ever do that. You are a good old boys club through and through. He goes, no, I'm telling you. That's why I'm calling you. He said, he says, I really want you to join because I know you can qualify. Um, he said, but uh, 
I know you'd, I knew you'd like this. So I said, okay. And then the last part of our conversation was, I said, how many members do you think are going to join? There's 5,000 members roughly then in NSA worldwide. How many think will qualify worldwide out of 5,000? And he said, oh, it'll be several hundred. And I said, you're, you don't, you're not even close. I said, it'll be far under 100. He said, no way, no way. I said, I'll bet you anything. He said, well, I guess we'll see. Uh, first year, we had 19 people qualify out of 5,000. 19. See, I'd been saying that for years because I had Bill Gove in my back, my, you know, in my, in my, in my back pocket, basically, as my business partner. And then, of course, Bill Gove was the father of the industry. So I, I, every speaker in the business was one call away from me, including Zig, Ziegler, and everybody else. You know, the only guy I didn't deal with um, was Tony Robbins because Tony Robbins was never part of NSA. And so I never I never was connected to Tony uh, until later when I was working with his people through the Bill Gove workshop and training some of the uh, facilitators he had and that kind of thing. But other than Tony Robbins, I was connected ever. I was one phone call away from anyone. So I knew when I wanted more data, I could get it in one phone call. And I did. I used it. I used it. I really did. Bob Proctor instructed me to use it. He says, you need to get on the phone and talk to these people and they'll They'll give you the blueprint for success in this business, which they did. So I knew all the facts. I, I didn't need NSA to tell me. I knew before they did, you know, because I was I predated them with Bill Gove, the first president, <laughs> the guy that without Bill Gove, there would be no NSA, according to the founder, Cavett Robert, because Bill Gove put all the people in. He was the pop, most popular speaker in the country at the time, or one of them. And Caffett was not, of course, but, but he was a good organizer. And so uh, they kind of teamed up to, to form NSA. But uh, so anyway, 19 people. 19 people qualified. And so in 2011, we had 39 that year, and I chaired it that year. And, uh, and I chaired it because it was real. It's a real or it's a you have to submit. I submitted my PL. And I had people call me, and people you've, li- I swear, if you're a speaker and you've been around more than five years, you've listened to the people that were calling me. You've listened to their, their audio, their speeches, you've read their books. They were calling me by the droves because if you remember, you know, we were in the middle of a recession, uh, the Great Recession in 2011. People were going broke every day in the speaking business. The speaking business was cut in half. And I've talked about this on a previous podcast, but so I won't go into that. But people were just dropping off. Million-dollar speakers were becoming $100,000 speakers overnight. We were not. We got very lucky. I don't know exactly why we got so lucky, but we were really lucky. And some other speakers were as well. And again, I've talked about that before too, so I won't repeat it. But for whatever reason, we were we, we just breezed through the recession. We did not breeze through COVID at all. <laughs> we got killed in COVID. But we did we breezed through the Great Recession for some reason. We got lucky. But anyway, so we had 39 and I 39 people qualify. And I had speakers, again, people you would know, really well-known speakers calling me saying, Steve, you're the current chairman. Can you get me in? I did 850,000, but I can't, I did, they won't accept my, my application because it's not a million. I've done 3 million before. I've done 5 million before. You know that. These are friends of mine. And they're, can you get me in? And I said, I can't. I don't have any real power. I said, they set it up this way purposely, which was the right way to do it. There was no good old boys club. There's no, oh, let me nominate you for the Hall of Fame because you're my buddy and you volunteered and spoke at my local chapter of NSA and, you know, or you were the past president or you were the treasurer of our club and you're a good speaker and you're my friend and, you know, you've been a member for 20, you know, whatever nonsense reasons they give, you know, to, to nominate people that should never be a CPA or a Hall of Fame person. Um, 
that's the way they played the game since the beginning of NSA. And so I, I said, that's the way, it should never be that way in a real organization, a real association, which it's, it, NSA is very questionable in that way, in my opinion, because of that, because of the good old boy factor. But, and it has, you know, NSA is a good thing. So I'm not bashing NSA. I mean, I've been a member. I'm not a member currently, but I was a member for a long time. And I'm a CSP and, you know, I was the chairman of their top group. But um, anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm going too far with this, but I want to give you background, be context, because you won't hear this anywhere else. Very few people that know will tell you this because there's no benefit for them telling. I, I get hammered for telling these things. I, I, if NSA hears this, I'll get a call from NSA and they'll say, stop saying that stuff, even though it's true. Most of them don't even know because they weren't even there back then. You know, um, you've been around a long time. You know where the bodies are buried. And Bill Gove, of course, predated everyone. So I, so I had it from day one because of Bill. I mean, I wasn't, you know, even around back then. I was around as a little kid when they started NSA. So the only way I would know these things is from Bill and all his, uh, his colleagues. So I chair. So anyway, we had 39 people. I couldn't get anybody in, any of my friends. I didn't even try, and I couldn't have anyway. The, pre- the chairman has no power. The chairman runs the meeting, the annual meeting, and chairs it along the way the year and tries to help people and that kind of thing, but does not put people in. I had no power, which is exactly the way it should be, exactly the way it should be, which I loved it. And I was a member all the way to the time I quit NSA a few years ago because I just didn't really. Once you get to a certain point of success, there's very it's for new speakers and aspiring speakers more than it is very successful seven figure speakers. You, you get to the point where there's not a lot you're going to hear that you you're not doing or you haven't done before, um, except maybe technology wise, which you can go to better sources than for technology than NSA, in my opinion. But anyway, so I. Randy Gage, who's one of the, the the top, you know, I've known Randy for a long time. Great guy, great speaker. Now that is a great speaker. Randy is in the Hall of Fame. He is a great speaker. And I love Randy's stuff, and he's a great guy. And he taught me a lot in the beginning when I first got in the business. He was in the business about five years, probably longer than me, or maybe a little longer. But anyway, Randy was chairing the national convention. And I was the chairman of the Million Dollar Speakers Group. Again, 39 members. They got 2,000 people probably back then at the meeting, the national meeting. And Randy says, I want you to speak after the meeting of the Million Dollar Speakers Group, which is a closed-door meeting, no cameras, no recording devices, which we all loved. And we all voted on the first year, 2009, because we didn't want it to be public. We wanted to be able to say what we really thought. You know, you could really get it out. You didn't have to be politically correct, which in most of those meetings you do. Otherwise, they really ostracize you. So we did it purposely. We set it up like that. So he said, I just want you to give them the highlights of the meeting because you're the chairman. And I said, how long do you want me to speak, and, uh, Randy, on the main stage? And Randy said, five minutes. And I gave him that old Bill Gove line. I said, you can't warm up a lasagna in five minutes. And he knew Randy and Bill were good friends for a long time. And so Randy laughed. He said, you got five minutes. That's all I can give you. So the, the, the chairman of the most powerful group of non-celebrity speakers in the whole world gets five minutes. The guy after me got 15. He was a motivational speaker. He is a motivational speaker. He's a nice guy. I won't say his name, but he's a motivational speaker. And so I got up there and I did my, my five minutes and I gave him the five reasons that they're not in the room of these million-dollar speakers. They're in the general session, but not in the million dollar speakers. Here's why I think that's true. And I'm giving them stuff from people like, you know, Brian Tracy and Nito Quabane, some of the smartest, savviest, richest speakers in the history of the non celebrity speaking business. And it was like I was putting them to sleep. They could have cared less. I got off stage, the motivational speaker comes on, literally starts st- stamping, stomping his feet on stage because he's doing this little motivational thing. The people went berserk, went wild. That's what they respond to, <laughs> okay? 
All right. So it gives you an idea of where most speakers are. They're not thinking about the business. They're thinking about money. They want to jump up and down and play like children. Okay. But the serious speakers, the ones that, that treat it like a business. Okay. And I'm going to do this quick because I'm going, I'm going, I went too far in the setup probably, but I did give you some good information, some background that you won't get anywhere else. I don't think not too many places are, there's not too many people that know it that are still around, frankly. But, um, so that hopefully will help you. But um, I'll go into more detail about this in another podcast because it's too important not to. But pay attention to the money and make sure you set up your financial future by one. This is one of the reasons, the, w- the things that I did that really helped me because I was advised this way, uh, was to set up your own personal pension. Okay, you're not going to get a pension as a speaker, obviously. We're independent. You know, we're independent. We're independent businesses. But set up your own pension. You, there's lots of ways you can do this. Consider your books and annuity, set up your own s- separate pension. And there's a way you can do this ta- where the money grows tax-free and comes out tax-free. I'm going to have to do this on another session. I'm not going to have enough time to do this today. But I want you to think about this. I want Here's, here's what I want to leave you with, okay? Um, I'll give you the details of this probably next week in another show. I'll do this because it's too important not to. But maybe I'll do it next week's show just to continue this. And that's probably what I should do. I'm just thinking out loud here. But um, I want you to think about what kind of money you need in retirement and the residual income you can build and how much you want, how much you need, and how much you think you can actually get in residual. So you have a pension like you worked for you know, IBM for 30 years and now you have a pension. Well, you don't work for IBM. You're an individual speaker, but you can still set up a person. I have a personal pension that we set up years ago for Dawn and myself, my wife and myself, that we that we can live on for the rest of our lives if we just stop working. We don't want to work and we're probably never going to happen, but you may want to or you may have to. You may get a physical disability. Like I'm, I'm done flying. I don't want to keep flying around. I'm going to fly very, very little for the rest of my life. That's my goal. I've flown for 25 years on Delta, you know, I'm just tired of it. I just want to be home. I like Georgia. I like it here. We like the lake. We like to be here. I like to stay off airplanes. I'm just sick. I've been on too many of them. So that's my my little thing. But I've got you know a pension set up, and there's a way to do that. I'm going to talk about it the next show. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to let it go today. But I want you to think about the money. Think about how much money you need in retirement as a speaker, author, and even a coach maybe, and uh, and then how to set up a personal pension. I'm going to give you the details on how to do it in the next show. Okay, so that gives you some background. At least you have some context for, for the uh, the personal pension piece, and I'll talk about that next week. Okay, so with that, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Uh, remember, it's authorspeakerpodcast.org. Subscribe. We'll send you an email every week with a new episode, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>